You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We're your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And if this podcast makes you stoked on life, I don't know why, just stoked on life. If you would pause this episode real quick and go leave us a quick little review, that would be so amazing. We honestly love hearing your feedback and just seeing what you guys are loving about our show. So that would be awesome. Okay, now let's get to it. If you struggle with knowing how to go about speaking directly to your client and crafting your message in a way that's actually relevant to the person you wanna work with, but you're struggling with how to do that, then keep on listening. Today's guest is the incredible Bill Cates, chatting with us all about the principles in his book, Radical Relevance. Bill Cates is an internationally recognized client acquisition expert, author, and speaker. As a successful entrepreneur, Bill started and sold two book publishing companies. Turning his attention to help other businesses grow, Bill has written four best-selling books, Get More Referrals Now, Don't Keep Me a Secret, Beyond Referrals, and Radical Relevance, the last of which we're diving into today. Bill has worked with over half a million professionals, small business owners, and salespeople across five continents, helping them increase revenue without increasing their marketing budget. Bill Cates' client acquisition system has been featured in such publications as Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Selling Power, and Huffington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. And his own business success has been featured in Money Magazine. Bill is also honestly one of the coolest men alive. He has trekked through the Himalayas of Nepal and the Andes of Peru. He's lived on a houseboat in Kashmir, India, climbed Machu Picchu, reached the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, and camped in the Arctic Circle. And he's also toured the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band. Guys, like, (laughs) see what I mean when I say he's the coolest person alive? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) In today's show, we dive all into his rules of radical relevance, some of the most mind-blowing strategies for marketing ever. We chat about why most businesses struggle with crafting their marketing message in a way that speaks directly to their audience and actually converts to sales. We also talk about how powerful referrals can be as a business owner and how to go about getting them. Honestly, this episode is filled with just so much goodness. Bill is about to blow your mind. You ready? You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Bill, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here today. Well, thank you. I I was looking forward to this for a long time, because you guys are great. (laughs) You're awesome. We're so ready for this talk. So to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your story and about yourself? That's a big question, uh, because I've been around (laughs) a while. (laughs) But let's see, uh, I, after graduate school, I toured the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band for a while. And that was, uh, that was a blast. That's, so and- cool. That's the most <laughs> epic start off <laughs> sentence I've ever heard. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, after about two and a half years, I did a talent assessment and I realized I'd be playing holiday inns the rest of my life. So <laughs> I figured that was 
probably not the best way to continue. So I, I moved on from there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then I uh, actually took a job working in customer service for American Airlines for about six years. And that's where I started to get the entrepreneurial bug. Uh, you know, I, both of my parents lived through the depression. They were very conservative. My mother said, you don't quit one job until you have your next job lined up and that sort of thing. And here I was quitting with just kind of a, you know, a, a glimmer of a business idea. And uh, so I, I actually wrote a book on airline careers and uh, I started advertising. This was before the internet. So I started advertising in the back of magazines and, and public, the various publications. And that's where I learned advertising. I learned direct response, how to, how to produce a book uh, and, and all of that. And uh, from there, I had a, a woman, a flight attendant, wanted to write a cookbook. And so I helped her publish it. And that's where I learned about how people will buy and read cookbooks and not ever cook the recipes, just read the recipes <laughs> and somehow derive vicarious pleasure, right? Um, that's true. At, at the time, it was more women, but not exclusively, a lot of men too. And, and, uh, so I uh, found a seafood place. The guy said, you know, if I had a cookbook for seafood, I could, I could sell more seafood because they have recipes. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And then uh, push comes to shove. I, I, I eventually started publishing cookbooks. And I borrowed uh, what at the time seemed like an astronomical sum from my father, $40,000, and put out six cookbooks and um, started to sell them, started to sell them in gourmet shops and, and I started to, I had a spinner rack. Eventually I did 45 books. I had spinner racks and grocery stores and it just grew. Uh, but wow. I'll tell you the turning point, if you, if you don't mind yeah. in my, in my business was, so when I first started the business, <clears throat> I needed a name really quick because somebody was going to start distributing the books. He says, you need a company name. I go, okay, okay. WRC Publishing, William Richard Cates. Big deal. Doesn't mean anything to anybody, right? Had a little feather by it. Publishing, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's pretty tacky now that I look at it. And But I, I was doing okay, but not great. And then I decided to shift and I changed my company name from WRC Publishing to the American Cooking Guild. Now, if you're a gourmet shop or a grocery store or a kitchenware, you know, who are you going to buy a book from? WRC Publishing or the American Cooking Guild? And that's made, that made a huge difference in, in the business. I eventually sold that business. So wow. uh, it did well. And it was that, that shift in name was a big part of it. Wow. Yeah. Which comes down to advertising and strategic marketing and knowing your market. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's part of branding. And I mean, look, it, it's not just the name because, I mean, look mm -hmm. at Google. I mean, yeah. you think of calling a company Google, you know, or Amazon even, or Yahoo or any of these, you know, TikTok, you name it. It's like funny, weird names. So it's not everything in a name. Um, and I'm not saying anyone listening who's got a business or thinking of starting a business should, you know, change the name you have, but it's certainly worth considering because it helps when the name speaks to the market. It helps when the name creates some credibility with the potential clients or customers. So it's certainly something that needs to be considered. Yeah. Wow. I totally get that. Okay. Well, the next question we'd love to ask you, I know we're going to kind of focus this interview a little bit on your book, Radical Relevance. So could you talk to us a little bit about it and the concept behind writing it? Yes. Yeah, so, so here's what I, I learned. And for 25 years, I've been teaching small business owners, a lot of like the listeners to your show, how to build, grow a business. 
And what I found is that one of the weaker parts was how to, how to talk about the value, how to describe it. And I'm not just talking about the elevator pitch, although we, we all need a short, succinct way to talk about what we do, but all the different ways we talk about our value and getting everyone in, this, in the company on the same page and uh, you know the value of targeting a niche market and, and getting very clear on who you serve and all those important decisions so uh, the subtitle of the book really says it all and the problem it solves, which is uh, sharpen your marketing message, cut through the noise, win more ideal clients. And, and there's a lot there because we know there's a lot of noise in the market. The Internet has made it easy to get our message out, and therefore it's made it hard to get our message out because yeah. it's so easy. right? Yeah. yeah. And, and there's just so much clutter. And, and I know I've listened to some of your other shows, your other guests have talked about it as well. So it's nothing new. Uh, it's been estimated that the average person gets 3,000 marketing messages a day in all its various forms that comes wow. at it. So, I believe so, it. All right. So that's the big problem, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then another problem that, that I wrote the book to help solve was one of the biggest challenges or even objections we get from potential customers or clients is inertia. And what I mean by that is either they're they don't want to do anything. They don't want to change. They, they, they're happy to be where they are. Maybe it's who they're working with, the incumbent that you might be trying to replace. Maybe they're moving in a direction. You know, Again, they think they're fine. They don't even realize there's a problem or they could be doing better. And so you know, anyone in a business faces that with potential customers and clients. So how do we not just have a message that's relevant enough to actually resonate and catch someone's attention, but how do we also move them to take action? How do we compel them, move them forward? And both of those are very, very important. And so then in the subtitle, I talk about ideal clients. Uh, actually, in the book, we talk about a concept called right fit clients. But because no one understands what a right fit client is, at first, you have to think about it. One rule of marketing I've learned is use words and concepts that are already in the brain of your prospects. So they don't have to figure it out. You're not making them work too hard. And so ideal clients, everyone got. So I use that on the cover, but then inside I make the case for why you want to figure out who your right fit. Sometimes they're called persona and avatars. I'm sure you guys have talked about on past shows as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and I think that's, that's a really good distinction because um, I think a lot of times we can think of ideal clients. It's like, oh, that's that's the ideal. But like, no, think about really, truly what is the best fit for you and your business. And I love just even using that language. Yeah. And, and look, sometimes when you're starting a business, you know, you'll talk to anybody who's breathing. Um, <laughs> right. and, and, you know, you end up doing projects or whatever that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, and sometimes that's OK because it can lead you into things that you might not have thought of. Mm-hmm. You know, you do have to listen to the market and what people are asking for and what they want. On the other hand, you have to be careful about those shiny objects that will pull you away uh, from what your core business is just because you're hungry for some dollars or it just seems interesting. Yeah. And everyone, any entrepreneur, small business owner goes through that. I don't care what kind of business it is. But eventually, you do want to settle in on the core. And so when we talk about sharpen the marketing message, what we mean by that is most businesses these days will be more successful if they think about narrowing their market, narrowing their message, narrowing who they're trying to serve. You know, God bless us for living in a, in a big country. You know, it's great. I think about if we were in smaller countries where they didn't speak, you know, 
where English wasn't spoken all over the world and all that. It's just, we, we have big market available yeah. to us. So we can actually afford to get more narrow. And by doing that, your messaging becomes better, stronger, right? When you're trying to appeal to different types of folks, well, the messaging gets weak. But if you start to hone in on a specific market, a specific uh, right fit client, then your message is right on. I mean, it, it resonates in that in the, in the bullseye of their brain where they get it. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of the book is, is narrowing that focus so you have the right message for the right person at the right time. Uh, Bill, I absolutely love that. And I think that's so important today. And I think I would love to hear you talk a little bit about like why you think so many business owners actually struggle with getting their messaging right to the right people. So why do they struggle with sharpening their marketing message? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, and I, I often say when I'm uh, conducting my workshops and coaching is uh, uh, just get ready for your head to hurt when it comes <laughs> to it, right? It's just, and, and, and you guys know this, it's the work you may do today. I, I always say, you know, it's got to pass the can I say that to someone tomorrow test, mm-hmm. you know, because you come up with what you think is the right name of the company or name of a product or name of a, of a, you know, how to describe what you do. And and then you wake up in the morning and you start to say that to someone, you know, a friend or whatever. Hey, I figured it out, you know, and you go, oh, well, that's not sounding right. So <laughs> it, it's it's not easy. It's a hard thing. So one of the reasons why I think is that. Sometimes people don't know their market as well as they need to know it. And mm-hmm. so because of that, they come up with words, phrases, concepts that feel right, seem right based on what they know, but it's not necessarily exactly what the market needs or wants. And so becoming radical, radically relevant starts with an incredible obsession of, of knowing your clients, customers, potential customers. Uh, we have the 17 rules of radical relevance in the book. And number two is give your clients or customers, give your clients a seat at the table. And what that means is you really don't want to develop any significant product or service or messaging without talking to some of your clients and even perhaps some prospects uh, with whom you have a good relationship. Because we sometimes talk in marketing speak, we talk in technical speak, we talk in phrases, words, concepts that aren't in the heads of our clients, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, a friend of mine calls it the billboard test. So, you know, you're driving down the road, you see a billboard, it's got a message, it's kind of cute, kind of clever. You start thinking about it. What does that mean? Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And then about 30 seconds later, you know, you're chuckling about the cleverness of the message, but you pass the exit yeah. uh, you know, to, <laughs> to take advantage of that service. So it, it's got to resonate already in the head. Mm-hmm. And you get that by talking with clients and customers. I'll give you an example. One of my clients, Michael Schmitz in San Mateo, California, I was doing this exercise with him. He says, Bill, you know what I, what, what I really appreciate about what you do is you make asking for referrals as natural as breathing. And I go, wow, that's pretty good. I, I never would have thought of saying that. And, and I still don't say it directly because it would feel a little bit arrogant, a little bit braggadocious. So I just quote Michael Schmitz every time. And that, by the way, is a way to brag on your company and yourself, but let it come from the mouths of your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it softens it a little bit if you say it versus someone else saying it about you. So I think part of it's not fully really understanding. I think one of the others that I alluded to earlier is trying, trying to be too much to too many people. 
Gosh, how many times have you guys heard and we all hear, you know, what, you know, who's the market for your product? Well, everybody. Well, mm-hmm. then you don't have a market, uh, yeah. especially in today's day and age, um, unless you're trying to compete, you know, with, it's like coming out with another water, you know, yeah. or another vodka, you know, who needs yeah. another water or another vodka? Yeah. And so, it, right, if it's for everybody, then it's for nobody. It doesn't resonate. The message doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. And so, and people resist that. People yeah, say, well, yeah. you know, if I just focus on these folks, this market here, I'm going to miss all this other opportunity. And the answer is, yeah, you might, but you'll be so successful here, you won't even notice it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't work on that market later, mm-hmm. but you don't want to try to be too big to too many people at once because it waters down your messaging and it doesn't resonate with anybody. Yeah. So part of it's mistaken assumptions, fears of giving up opportunity, but the truth is the more precise, usually the better. Yeah. Well, I love that. We teach all the time to niche down, which mm-hmm. is kind of exactly what you're saying. And I love mm-hmm. relating it to that billboard example that you just said, because I think that explains um, the per- showcases the perfect example of why you need to niche down and have a really specific market. Just because if if I'm a mom driving down the street and I see a billboard that's just like, hey, get your teeth cleaned or like whatever the heck it says, right. I'm like, okay, sure. But if I am driving down and I see a billboard that's like, hey, mama, are you tired? It's like it's speaking directly <laughs> to me. And well, I'm like, yes, yeah. I am. I am tired. Well, <laughs> and- <laughs> the definition of mama is tired. So yeah, <laughs> I feel it. I'm drinking coffee right now. Um <laughs> But I, I love that you kind of gave that example. I think that's a really good breakdown of why mm-hmm. you need to have a specific market. Mm-hmm. And, and people resist it for lots of reasons, but you just shouldn't. That's all there is. Yeah. And look, you can, sure. have, you can have more than one market over time. Um, and if you're in, a, in, in business now already and you're serving a couple markets, it doesn't mean you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's better, you're better off letting go of one or just serve it as is just the way it develops organically, but putting all your, uh, outward focus and energy into the to one market. Uh, if you're just getting started, then you really want to pick one grow it, get it established. And then you can look at other markets that are related. It's good to have the, if you have more than one market that, that they're ancillary to each other, right? They're complementary mm-hmm. to each other. And so they they talk to each other in a lot of ways, and and that's good as well. And then you can have more than one bullseye on a target. You don't have to have just one person uh, that you serve. You can have more than one. Just be crystal clear about who those are, and then make sure you adjust the messaging for each one. You don't have messaging that takes in the whole the whole you know all three bullseyes at once. Now, look, there are some exceptions. So, like on a on a homepage of a website. If you're not directing your different markets to different websites, which is also a, a valid thing to do, at least you could have kind of a header that's, uh, you know, okay, that permeates or, or solves a problem that all three bullseyes have. But then you want to have, you know, icons and photos or whatever and copy that says, if you're this, click here. If you're this, click here. If you're this, click here. Mm-hmm. So they self-identify and then they get into the part of the website that's going to be specifically 100% for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and when I, when I'm working with a business owner, uh, and we're talking about, uh, you know, their, their product, their service and how they message it. The f- first two questions I ask is what problem do you solve and who do you solve it for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm amazed at how many people struggle and yet they have this business, they have a product or service, they have a name for it. They're building the website and they're still not crystal clear on the problem they saw, solve and who they solve it for. 
Mm-hmm. And until you know that, it's hard to communicate your value very effectively. Yeah. Well, and I think that comes, I think it just circles back to the fact that so many business owners start and create a business, a service, a product from their perspective of right. this is something that I have that I want to sell or that I want to do, that I want to earn money doing, that I want, it's mm. all about me, myself, and I. Right. But I mean, that's, Knowing your skills, your strengths, your you know passions are is a good thing. That's I think necessary to establish yourself in a field where you're actually going to thrive. But from sure. there, looking outwards and being like, this isn't about me anymore. This is about serving my audience and my clients. Now, where are they, and who are they, and what do they need help with, and how can I solve and serve their problems and their needs? And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes as business owners is forgetting to turn the attention outwards. Like it's not about us. It's about our clients and our audience. And if we're approaching our marketing from mm-hmm. the me, myself and I perspective, we're probably going to just be shooting straight over the heads of our ideal clients. Yeah. Or at least the messaging may not be where it needs to be, or, or the product or service may not be quite as exact as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right. You got to give them a seat at the table. The, the only thing I'd say about that, uh, slightly different, I guess, but I mean, yeah. I agree with you is, there still has to be that element of joy yes. uh, in, in what we're doing. So, um, you know, when I talk about right fit client, what do I mean by right fit client? Well, right fit client is someone you were meant to serve, someone who was meant to be served by you, someone you enjoy serving. They, they appreciate your value for all the reasons you want to be appreciated. Um, and they're usually more, you know, like I said, more joyful to work with They're more profitable usually. Now, look, when you first start out, you have a lot of not right fit clients. You have folks that aren't a joy to work with. And sometimes you have to figure that out along the way to realize, no, I don't want to work with this part of the market because I don't like those people, generally speaking. (laughs) But I'll work with this side of the market because I tend to resonate with these folks okay. Or this group doesn't have the money I thought they have. So that, you know, that's an evolutionary thing that happens. But eventually, you get that at a place where this is a right fit client. And then, Mm -hmm. then you have the then you have you know you and you have them and then you have the overlap uh, of the two and that's where the joy for both uh, come into play and you know you don't hear a lot of business folks talk about joy in business it's not a common conversation mm-hmm. and maybe I ought to write something on that at some point because I really think that if we look for that we can find it yes. um, not everyone looks for it, doesn't think yeah. about that. And next thing you know, two, three years later, your business owns you, you don't own the business. You're not finding the joy that you thought you would get from, you know, owning a business mm-hmm. and, you know, you don't like your clients or customers, but it's probably your fault by how you, how you set up the business in the first place. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's so, so good. And such a good perspective of mm-hmm. meshing, you know, your clients' needs and, you know, being smart and strategic in knowing your market, knowing your audience, knowing your brand, knowing your business, your Mm -hmm. service, but also being like, you need to have a joy and a passion for what you're doing because that can make all the difference in your experience and in your client's experience. Like it, it changes the game for everyone. And and so here's the way I like to think about it. It's the mission. So being on a, being on a a mission driven business. Now there's really two types of missions. And I've read so many of them. Some companies have missions that are just, you know, the company centric. It's our mission to accomplish this, to do this, to do that. 
right? There's a little bit of mention of the customer or the client in there, uh, but not a lot. It's not an outward stroke of a mission. On the other hand, if you take the why you believe in your value and why you believe you help people, and that becomes the mission, that you're on a mission to serve this many people, to help them do this, right? So one of my clients, uh, uh, McKay, CEO Forums in Canada, I helped her go from 300 clients to uh, 1,000 clients. And when she took on the mission of trying to populate the world with more inspired leaders, that mission is something that the leaders go, yeah, I want to be more, I want to be a better leader. I want to be more inspired. And if we all help each other, then we'll have a better economic environment. So it, it created this, this, this flow of, of being on mission. And, you know, a lot of companies are like that. I mean, you look at the Zappos, for instance, that, that was, a, you know, and bomb, was it Bombas or something, the sock company. And, you know, these are mission driven businesses and they're, they, yeah, they're a business. They need to make a profit. They need to stay in business like any business does. And there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And so think about when you think about the mission of your business, is it, is it an outward stroke? Is it how you're really trying to serve people? And it's an attractive quality. And when you can talk about what you do and why you do what you do in kind of a missionary sort of way, uh, you really start to attract people with that, with your passion and your enthusiasm for what you do. Can't be over the top. You can't be arrogant about it. Uh, And if you're purposeful, it it can make all the difference in the world. Wow. We are... We are praise dancing. <laughs> we could not agree more with everything that you're saying. So I hope um, I'm just not, uh, re, you know, dittoing all your other shows. No, <laughs> oh, no, it's yeah. so good. Does Instagram scare the heck out of you? Feeling like you're always struggling to save time on the good old gram while also creating flawless branded professional content for it? We feel you. We have made a special little something just for you. We created a PDF with our top five apps we use in conjunction with Instagram to create smooth, professional content while saving us time and energy. This is a list compiled after years of using Instagram and searching for all the secret pro tools to make our jobs easier. If you've ever wondered, how the heck did she do this? Or how did she make that? It's probably answered by one of these apps. There are little secret sauce to spicing up your Instagram. We use these apps daily and they've absolutely changed the game for us. So if you're ready to uplevel your Instagram and create pro content with just a few clicks, we got you. Head on over to www.theheartuniversity.com slash apps and let's uplevel that Instagram. That's A-P-P-S, y'all. Hey, Heart Fam, we had to interrupt this episode real quick to share with you something that's revolutionized our workflow. Everyone always asks Evie and I what the number one investment is that we've made in our businesses. Without a doubt, the best investment we've ever made to get our life and time back is HoneyBook, a client relations management software. We both use HoneyBook every single day and legit could not live without it. It's an all-in-one project management tool that's designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. I honestly don't know what I would do without HoneyBook. It streamlines everything. Email conversations, client workflow, contracts, invoicing, calendar integration. HoneyBook literally coordinates everything for my business. They thought of everything that a creative entrepreneur could need and combined it all in one place. From templates, brand customization, an app so that you can send invoices while you're on the go, all the way to the little ka-ching sound your phone makes every time you 
you get paid, aka my favorite part. (laughs) HoneyBook gives you the ability to streamline an excellent client experience from your fingertips so you no longer have to spend 24-7 working in your business and you can finally get back to living your life instead. Guys, we know you're going to love HoneyBook just as much as we do. In addition to a free seven-day trial, we have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. Guys, that's a $200 value. All you have to do is go to share.honeybook.com slash heart and claim your discount. That's share.honeybook.com slash heart. Or you can check out the link in our show notes. I think it's encouraging to me to hear somebody so much wiser than I am, like say things that I like in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I agree with that. Like, I don't know. It just it <laughs> personally it helps me know that I'm on the right track. Um, but well, I, you talked about this a little bit earlier. You mentioned yeah. your, I think you threw it out in conversation, the rules of radical relevance. I right. would love to dive in a little bit deeper to that. You sure. have a bunch of those scattered throughout your book. And so could you walk us through maybe like the top three or four rules about how your listeners or how our listeners can apply them to their business? Yeah, I've got a few here. Uh, so I already mentioned number two, which is give your clients a seat at the table. Number one, actually, and this comes back from, from my history of writing books on referrals and introductions, is the shortest route to relevance is through an introduction from a trusted source. So if you're trying to reach strangers, people you don't know, they don't know you, the, the fastest way to become relevant and known in their life is by an introduction from someone they already do know. So we want to make sure that building our business to referrals, to introductions, it's, it's not just icing on the cake. It's not just nice when they happen. Uh, if most of your clients would prefer to meet you through a referral slash introduction, then it really should be your primary method of building your business. That's rule number one. Uh, I love rule number five. Um, only differences that matter, matter. And what I mean by that is, you know, why is what you're saying about your business that's different? Why is that of value to your clients, right? If it, if it, if it's a, just nice, you know, uh, so I saw a consultant once, uh, who likes to fish. And so he built his, his site, his consulting site all about fishing. Well, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with letting your personality come through and a sense of who you are as a person and interests. And I think that's all good. But to have a site built on that where it's a differentiation that means nothing to most people, unless he's only trying to attract fishers, fishermen, mm-hmm. I should say, or fisher people. And so, um, you know, so it's got to matter to them. I'll give you another example. A bank, I, I, one of my clients, they've been in business for 127 years. And they decided that one of the ways they're different is the fact they've been in business for 127 years. And I said, well, so what? Which is the question you always want to ask. So what? (laughs) And, you know, so a young person may think, ah, stodgy, don't have the latest apps, you know, and all that sort of stuff. You know, my parents bank, my grandparents bank, uh, or an older person may say, oh, you know, good, solid. They've been in business. They're not going anywhere. Right. We don't know how it's going to resonate with our clients. So, we have to make sure if we're going to talk about what what's different that it really truly resonates with people. Um, so that's that's another one. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, oh, I've got so many of them here. I love them. Uh, your, <laughs> your, your your prospects and clients aren't mind readers. Number fifteen. Prospects and clients aren't mind, mind readers. What I mean by that is never assume a prospect or a client can read your mind and take the action you want them to take. Right, mm-hmm. whether it's respond to an email, click a link here on the website, 
right? You guys know call to action. Everything we do pretty much should have a call to action, CTA. What is that? What do you want them to do? Don't think they know what to do. Mm -hmm. Don't think, well, it's obvious they should know. It's not obvious to you, to them. Uh, And so always have calls to action. And then uh, so many. Number 16, I'll give you this one. Uh, Test, test, test. And it's the universal rule of marketing. Right. We can make certain assumptions based on our own, own experience, uh, you know, past history, intuition, what other experts, people suggest. We can do all that, but you'll never know until you test. Mm-hmm. And I always say this to my consulting consultant, like, this is my best guess. This is our best guess working together. We're not going to know until we see how the market receives it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have adjust, adjust from there. And the old joke uh, in advertising and marketing is, yeah, we put a red headline on this ad and it outpulled the one with the blue headline by 100%. Why <laughs> was that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It just did. <laughs> and, right? Because people can explain why they think something worked, but they never fully know unless they really go deep with their customers. So mm-hmm. those are a few of the, uh, the rules of relevance. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I think also in your book, you provide like a great model for determining what problems we should try to solve for our clients and maybe even build our businesses around. So can you talk to us maybe a little bit about that and describe that model to us? Sure. Actually, I got this model from a venture capitalist by the name of Michael Scott out of New England. And uh, I read an article that he wrote and I just, I just loved it. So I interviewed him and got permission to include his model in the book. And so uh, imagine kind of a, a graph, an axis, whatever. On one side is, uh, you know, the idea of whether a, a problem is what he calls blatant or um, latent, meaning obvious or, you know, not obvious, unknown. Uh, so, you know, is the problem that you're trying to solve for your prospects and clients uh, do they know they have that problem? Is it a blatant problem? Is it obvious to them? Or is it kind of hidden? In which case you need to ask them questions and dig a little to get that problem to become more obvious. And then the other uh, horizontal uh, part of the, the graph, it's, you know, is it aspirational or critical? Meaning, is this a problem that would be nice to solve? Or is this a problem that's critical to solve? Meaning they've got a deadline, their company's bleeding money, There's, it's critical, right? Mm-hmm. And so obviously the, the best place where people will invest their resources of time and dollars and attention uh, are the problems that are obvious and critical. And mm-hmm. so when we're thinking about approaching the market, picking a target market or designing our business from scratch, uh, or whatever really is, you know, are we attacking, are we addressing obvious critical problems? And it doesn't mean you can't also try to address problems that aren't critical. So for instance, uh, a life insurance agent, uh, you know, we'll talk about life insurance to their prospects and clients and life insurance is important. It's an important part of proper financial planning. But some people think they have enough or think maybe they don't need it. They can kind of cover things some other way. Uh, and so it's kind of a latent uh, situation. But through some education, through illustrations, examples, uh, that problem can, can become very blatant. 
And then through the right conversation, you could see, well, if I died today, God forbid, then this is what I'd be leaving my family. Oh, that's not good. Right. Mm -hmm. So now it's become critical. And so he calls that missionary selling when you have to bring it to that level uh, of being critical and obvious. Uh, but sometimes it takes, you know, it takes a little education to do that. So again, is the, the problem you solve for your clients, is it obvious? Is it, is it blatant? Is it critical? Uh, if not, can you, can you talk about it in a way that they get it to blatant and critical quickly? Uh, because that's a much better place to come from, from a marketing standpoint and a sales standpoint. Mm, I love that. When I think just you, it almost forces you to put yourself obviously in your customer's shoes to yes. even understand what is critical or what is maybe not so obvious. Because I think us as the business owners, we can always look at something and be like, oh, I think that's what they're struggling with, but like not actually know. Um, so I love just having even that distinction. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah. And you, and you can come to it with kind of a, a sense of what's going on in an industry. Let's say we know that typically in a certain industry, this may be the normal problems that everybody knows they have and need to solve, but we don't ever want to assume that. So, you know, say that, you know, a lot of companies in, in your industry are facing this issue, this issue, uh, pretty critical, pretty important to solve is, you know, is that true for you? Mm -hmm. And they're saying yes. And then you talk about what they're doing or not doing to solve it. Where they'll say, well, actually, our situation is a little bit different. And then you learn, and you dig, and you may find out they have other blatant and, and uh, critical problems that need to be solved. So we don't ever want to assume, but, but by targeting a market, knowing our clear market that we're going after, we can make some assumptions. Um, and even if the way we describe it isn't true for them, they will at least see how we know their industry because they know a lot of their colleagues are facing that problem. So uh, that's the value of targeting a niche market, as we've already talked about. Uh, you can start to talk about these things with a knowingness and empathy uh, for their world that's going to resonate with them. Mm, that's so good. And I think it's so important, too, as, as business owners to, like you just said, continue to ask questions and learn and grow about our audience and our target market and to be like, hey, is this true for you? What are you mm -hmm. struggling with right now? You know, things might shift. And I know... A lot of uh, service providers or business owners had to shift a lot during, you know, COVID-19 and everything that hit there. And it was a lot of asking questions. What are you struggling with? What's getting in your way? How are you doing? How can I help? Um, mm. And I think that's really important just throughout all of business, especially as a business owner to consistently ask those questions of your, your customers and your clients. You know, is anything new coming up? Is this not what you're struggling with right now and just right. kind of shift and adjust with them. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Bill, the next question that we have, <laughs> we know that you are a huge man on referrals. You talk so much about the power of referrals. So could you talk to us a little bit about how to go about getting referrals and what this can do for your business? Yeah, boy, we have another 14 hours. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because I've been doing this for 25 years. And with that said, I think I think I have a way to talk about that everyone will find helpful. Uh, in a pretty succinct way. So I'm going to give you three words and then we'll build on these words just a little bit. Perfect. And those words are engagement, leverage, and connection. Engagement, leverage, and connection. And I want you to think of a, of a wheel spinning. So on part of the wheel, it says engagement, part of it says leverage, and part of it says connection. And if they 
if the wheel spun, it would keep going. All right. So with that in mind, the first thing we need to think about in terms of getting more referrals um, is, are we referable in the first place? Is, is our product, our service, our business, us personally, is all of this referable? And how do we know? Well, our barometer of referability is that we're getting unsolicited referrals. Every business, I don't care how long they've been in business, uh, should be getting some unsolicited referrals or, or something's missing. Um, because, and that's a barometer for me of, of my business and some of the products or tools that I'll put out. You know, are people talking about it to others or is it just kind of static? We have to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So we want to make sure it's referable. And, uh, one study that, that, that I saw showed that while cl- satisfied clients, satisfied customers are loyal, they stay with us. That's good. Uh, there's a low correlation between getting referrals from these people. What we need is engaged clients, engaged customers. And essentially, an engaged client is someone who engages with your value, meaning they like the value that you bring. They like the questions you ask. They like the problems you solve. They like the things you teach. They like responsive service, all of that value kind of connection. And then there's the personal connection, that element of personal connection. Uh, and if you have a large company, maybe it's with your staff. If it's you individual, a solopreneur, it's you. But we know that all things being equal, people do business with people they like and trust. Uh, all things not being equal, people still do business with people they like and trust. In fact, we'll pay more to do business mm-hmm. with people that they like. And so that's that engagement. How do we create that sense of engagement uh, from the very beginning of the relationship with the prospect and the onboarding and to serving them over time. And then we have to, then, then the next word is leverage. Leverage is proactivity in terms of getting referrals slash introductions. And I want to make a really quick distinction here between the word referrals and introductions, because I'm saying referrals, but really, if you're in front of a prospect, a client, and a center of influence, an influencer, advocate, whatever, you really want to use the word introductions because it's so hard to reach people these days. You got to get connected. And I know earlier in the interview, we talked about the straightest line to be connected is is an introduction from someone you already trust. So um, okay. it, that's become more important than ever before. And so how do you ask for that? How do you ask in a way that isn't begging, isn't pushing, uh, isn't isn't needy, you know, isn't obnoxious? And so we've got to we've got to be able to ask. And I'll tell you, probably one of the I know we only have so much time to, to cover this, but one of the things when you're asking, uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to throw open the whole universe to your client referral source. You don't want to say, hey, who do you know we can help? Because it usually fizzles. They usually mm-hmm. don't think anybody. What we need to do is, is have a way to get them to picture people in their mind's eye so that they can land on them visually and then and communicate that. So it's the best, the bullseye of, of asking for introductions is uh, specific people. Uh, that you know they know, right? So I know, I know, you know, your ex-business partner, you guys still have a relationship. They started their own business, your friendly competitors, right? Yeah. How do you feel about introducing me to them? Whatever it may be. I know you're on your, the board of directors of your industry association. Uh, in fact, I've got a couple of names here, folks. I'm assuming you know, I could probably be a pretty good resource for them as I have been for you. You know, can we talk about who you might be willing to introduce me to? So coming very specific uh, categories of people going through every business has these categories of things that prospects are going through, right? These 
problems, these hopefully critical problems. Uh, and so therefore, um, someone like you might be an attractive resource to them. And so you can bring those categories up. Uh, you want to help help your, your referral source trigger some folks in their mind's eye. And then connection is the introduction. We've got to get connected. Just so hard to reach people that we've got to get that introduction. And so we work on that and we work together with our referral source. You know, how would you like to introduce me to George? My guess is Laura would like to hear from you before she hears from me. Let's talk about what that looks like. And so it's it's an introduction that demonstrates the importance of making a good connection, that word of mouth isn't enough. We're not going to settle for them just telling some people because we know that that probably isn't enough to get them to reach out to us. We need to be appropriately proactive. So if we get a nice introduction, an email introduction, an in-person introduction, nice connection, with this new prospect, and then we start to employ these ideas of engagement, connecting with value, connecting on a personal level, then what happens? It just continues and the wheel just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. And you truly can create an unlimited flow of good quality prospects, clients coming into your business if you follow uh, this wheel of engagement, leverage, and connection. Mm, I so love good. that. And <laughs> I've had, I've actually had a few people I hadn't really considered. Hey, this isn't just somebody like word of mouth and somebody being like, Hey, I worked with this person. They're pretty great, but it's actually right. genuinely, Hey, so-and-so meet so-and-so. This is what they do. This is how they've helped me or impacted me or whatever. I've had exactly. several people do that in my email inbox and it really does push you beyond somebody being like, Hey, you should check out this person. They're great. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll put it on my list. And the likelihood that it falls off that list is pretty great. But if somebody... Right connects us via email or in person, the connection is is being made actively. So I love, love, love that perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way before. And and how you how you give referrals to other people, how you make connections, which is another thing you want to be doing is just connecting people and playing the giving mm-hmm. side of it. Um, and if you work hard to make good connections for others, I call it the golden rule of referral giving and give referrals unto others as you would have them be given unto you. (laughs) I love it. Pay attention, make good connections, follow through, see if so-and-so is called so-and-so and and, and just make sure the connection goes through because that's Mm -hmm. what you want people to do for you. And so you demonstrate, you model it. And then when they, it comes time to them, make a connection. Maybe they got the message and and they'll make a good connection for you. And and sometimes you got to teach people how to connect you. Uh, not everyone is good at making connections. And so you say, look, here's how I'd like to get connected. And let's yeah. talk about how you connect me. Here's, here's what I found works the best. And yeah. that's a great phrase, by the way. Here's what I found works the best. People always want to do what works the best. And so mm-hmm. it's a good one. Yeah, so I love good. that. You're simplifying the process for them too by being yes. like, hey, here's here's step one, two, three. And this works really well if you're interested in in taking these steps. That way they're not sitting there trying to figure it out on their own. Exactly. I yeah. love it. Awesome. Well, Bill, you are amazing. This has been such a fun conversation. (laughs) Um, A question we love to ask every guest, and it's a big one, but what Mm. is the biggest lesson you have learned in business? Uh, I've I've been slapped down a lot. Um, (laughs) I'd probably say one of the biggest lessons I've learned is to not go too far developing a product or service or approach to the market without talking to some clients. Um, I, I, so for instance, I developed this program for banks. I 
had done work for a couple of banks. And so I figured I knew it and I knew what, exactly what they needed and, and exactly how to talk about it. And, um, and I didn't. <laughs> and uh, actually, a few summers ago, I probably threw out about 60,000 CDs and DVDs of this banking program uh, that never really went anywhere. And it's, wow. it's totally my fault. I, I didn't focus on the market. I didn't get enough information. The program was good and they could, it would have helped them. But in terms of talking about it and describing it and, you know, CDs and DVDs are pretty obsolete now. So mm -hmm. uh, it was tough at first. You know, I went to the dump and I had this box of DVDs. And I go, oh, these are my babies. I mean, oh. I worked hard to create. Oh. Yeah. Nope. And then and I threw it over and it busted open and they flew everywhere. And I go, oh, that's pretty cool. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then each I box think, got e easier to toss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, that's such great. a good life lesson, not life, but just business lesson is making sure that any product or service that you are putting out there is there's a demand for it and that you're doing that market research to make sure that it is solving an actual problem, which kind of almost goes back to what you said earlier about like making sure that your problem is critical and that you are you are fitting a need and fitting a mold in the market where you can fit and that there's actually a need for it. So mm -hmm. that's that's really good. That's I'm just yeah, savoring that. <laughs> but, wow. Bill, yeah, you have been just <laughs> mind-blowing this entire interview. We have just learned and gleaned so much from your wisdom, and I know our listeners have as well. So if anybody um, wants to follow up with you or just check you out, where can everyone find you on the interwebs? Uh, so many ways. So many ways. So um, <laughs> first of all, I have a, a nice guide that I think people will find helpful, and it's free, and they can get that at exponentialgrowthguide.com, exponentialgrowthguide.com. If you want to learn more about the book, Radical Relevance, that's RadicalRelevanceBook.com. And uh, just my general website is ReferralCoach.com. And we have a number of resources there. A lot of them are free, you know, reports, guides, things to, to check out. And then, you know, you can see what we do. And we'd love to chat and see how we might help. Yes, absolutely Perfect. love it. <laughs> Thank you. Bill, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for just giving us so much information for free and sharing. Like, I feel like this was just one of those brain stuff episodes mm. where it feels like my brain is so full and like, I'm going to have to go and slowly like unpackage all of this and process it. So I yeah. am so excited to get this interview out and see what our listeners think and the ways that their minds have been blown as well. So will you be unpacking that with a with a red or, or a white wine? <laughs> what about white for me? <laughs> I prefer red, but it just depends on what's at hand. Of course. <laughs> oh, I like I like thought. that style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best kind of unpacking. <laughs> oh, well, that's oh been fun gosh. talking with you guys. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, you're Thank the best, you so Bill. much, Bill. You bet. <laughs>